Hello, I'm DJ Evil Dave. And I'm Dr. Brandy Sexy Voice. And you're listening to the Dark Corner Podcast. Brought to you by Gentleman's Grindhouse Records.com. Evil Dave, recording from the elaborate tunnels beneath Ogden, Utah. Well, the more things change, the more things stay the same, I suppose, as we are powering through and continuing to record the Dark Corner podcast. Yet again, I am recording alone, as Brandy will be in rehearsal. In fact, they're doing as full a performance as possible tonight, even though there are bits of the Fairly Potter Christmas Carol not yet written. So Brandy has been extremely busy over the last few days and will continue to be so for some time, even during the show, as there will be many performances on the weekends. Keep in mind, we will also have our holiday hiatus Lots of H's in that statement. That occurs around the American Thanksgiving time, so late November. So there'll be about four weeks, is that right? Without hearing from us. So practically a whole month off since we went to a bi-monthly, as in twice a month, not every two months, recording schedule. But we still plan on the 25 episodes a year a goal we managed to reach in our previous season. And as I am recording alone, that gives me the pick of the litter for whatever I want to talk about in The Point. What I've chosen seems quite fitting for the recent election results, so it's rather timely, I imagine. The dark track of the Fortnite shall fit in quite well. But first, let's get into obsessions. It's obsession. Huh, huh, it's obsession. Randy signed us up for the Amazon Music Streaming Service, and I've been going down that rabbit hole as I've been building playlists. Been going through the history of electronic body music, discovering bands like The Invincible Spirit, and finding classic Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft tracks, and Decrups, and some other great bands, just hearing their early output. Though it is striking how some albums aren't available through the streaming service, but that makes sense. Some artists would rather sell the album than have it stream, or only partially 
presenter back catalog for streaming, retaining some possibly more newer output. Though really, less and less people actually buy music these days, and more and more people stream, and I suppose now I'm one of those people. Fortunately, I do still buy music from time to time, having recently purchased the album Spellbound Ultimate Goth by one Alexandria Corvin. It's an album of various covers, from Werewolves of London to Season of the Witch, and just about anything in between, including an Evanescence cover, which is interesting. Yes, on uh, the Amazon streaming service, I've most recently been looking into cowpunk. A lot of Los Angeles bands combining a punk rock attitude with the rockabilly sound. And a lot of story-driven songs, which is always cool. Gives you a bit of a narrative to cling to. Bands like The Blasters, Blood on the Saddle, and the like. Pretty cool stuff. Probably not something I would collect for my own, but something I can enjoy on occasion. Randy's obsession, she has recently purchased a record player and is building her collection of records. She wanted to get the first hymn album she ever heard, but it was unavailable on vinyl. So she got the Love Metal double album. We have also visited... Lavender Records on Historic 25th Street here in Ogden, a business started by former employees of Greywell CD Exchange, and it's the same kind of business model. People bring in their vinyl, they buy it, and then they resell it. But they also do special orders and have indie and local bands as well. I popped in on one of my short days and bought Brandy a couple of the Monkees albums. And then later, after watching Doctor Strange, we popped in and I thumbed through the dollar bins, picking out whatever Brandy might want, including some disco compilations. So we're slowly building up her music collection. It's quite an eclectic collection. Just yesterday, I got her The Best of Alice Cooper, a Tina Turner album, an album by The Supremes, and a Billy Joel album. So right there, you have quite a run of the gamut of various genres and styles of music. Though I guess the next step is to find some compatible speakers to give her the best sound. Though something about the Monkees albums is they are about 50 years old and still sound pretty damn good. In the limelight... Our next Quantum Comedy Collective improv show looked to be a bit of a skeleton crew, as there's a few people that cannot attend. So Matt asked if it would be okay to audition a couple of people to see if they would fit in with us and get a chance to perform. And I'm really cool with that. I'd 
like Quantum to be a bit of a talent pool. You know, kind of an opportunity for new improvisers to get some stage time. So I look forward to that. I imagine we'll do various games just to see what people's fortes and foibles might be and introduce them to the fundamentals of short-form improv, the whose line is it anyway style that suits me best. I'm not really a long-form guy. I mean, I can do long-form, but I enjoy the short-form format. It is a crowd favorite as it is more interactive than a lot of long-form. And you really need only do half the work because the format of the game gives you your working tools and then the creative parts left up to you. And that may sound lazy, but it's a bit like having a smaller budget when you're a filmmaker is it forces you to make certain choices and somehow being limited allows you greater creativity. It's an odd thing when just about any choice is possible, you're kind of spoiled for choice. But when you limit those choices, I think you can get to the meat of the matter quicker. So I look forward to that. That'll be this upcoming Saturday. And then the following Saturday will be our performance, our November performance. And hopefully Brandy will be able to attend. She will be able to make it to practice. But as for the performance, I'm not sure yet. Hopefully, because I do enjoy having her in quantum News and reviews. We did see Doctor Strange. Brandy enjoyed it immensely, but she is a fan of the Cumberbatch. And his performance on Saturday Night Live, she enjoyed very much. It's funny how often he was using an American accent. Though I expected more parodies, like of Sherlock and Doctor Strange and the like. I don't know, Imitation Game would be a difficult movie to do a parody of as it's quite a tragic story. So that was quite enjoyable. But I enjoyed Doctor Strange as well. It's not a perfect film. I didn't expect so much martial arts in it, though I did delight because I am quite the fan of martial arts films. I'm a bit of a mark, to use a wrestling term, for the martial arts. In our previous incarnation, I recorded with Brandy several episodes of the podcast on the various martial arts. I may do that in the future too, including Tai Chi, Taekwondo, Jiu-Jitsu, various other unarmed combat. So it was fun to see Tilda Swindon performing the white fan or jade fan technique using her little magically conjured weapons as both shield and weapon. And yeah, there are moments that are like Inception, and but probably closer to Dark City, though you can actually see what's going on. So I think people forget about Dark City and how that was before Inception with the folding and manipulating of the surrounding environment. I thought they did that very well, especially within the Mirror Universe. I'll try to keep this somewhat spoiler-free, just touch on the basics of the story. I liked Cumberbatch in the role. I think he made a good Doctor Strange, from arrogant, self-involved Doctor to the Sorcerer Supreme. It was fun to see elements of the character come together 
over time. Though I didn't feel time was presented well in Doctor Strange, it was difficult to figure out how much passage of time there was between one scene and another. So in some regard, it seemed like the development of Stephen Strange into the Sorcerer Supreme seemed a bit rushed at times. Though, who really wants a complete origin story? You know, you want the character, and uh, the movie can only be so long. And I suppose they did acknowledge that Stephen Strange is a fast learner and has an excellent memory and a bright mind that is capable of grasping quite extreme ideas. So, I mean, once that mind is opened... The visuals are amazing, special effects amazing. I heard it's really great in IMAX and 3D. In fact, about half the film, from the reports I've heard, is devoted to IMAX. So that seems to be the preferred way of seeing it for most people. I saw it in 2D and didn't mind it. I mean, some of the special effects is a bit ropey, but that comes to be expected when about the whole film is a special effect, more or less. A female, maybe romantic lead isn't that interesting i think the ancient one is better served as a female character the humor i liked but i could see why some people might be put off by it not all the jokes are going to work for you some of them are quite cheesy i know dan Harmon worked on rewrites to add some humor whether that was a mistake or not who's to say yeah doctor strange could have been a darker film but then that's not Marvel's, or at least in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's not quite their forte. The Netflix series, yeah, that's that's a bit darker. With Daredevil and The Punisher and Jessica Jones, which is really brutally dark. I don't mind humor being within the cinematic universe too much. I think they're trying to aim for a tone across all films. I mean, even Winter Soldier has its funny moments. So yeah, I really enjoyed the visuals. I liked how they utilized magic. I know the director steered from Harry Potter and that sort of wand-wielding nature of magic. Though I've heard several people compare it to Star Wars, particularly in the character design. But for me, Star Wars is borrowing from Japanese samurai films. And particularly in the style of dress. And I can see that Doctor Strange is likely pulling from the same backstory. Possibly even into Chinese culture with Shaolin monks and the like. As this is a lot like a martial arts film. That the style of clothing would be more suited to Star Wars than Harry Potter. And I didn't mind it. I only noticed afterwards. I mean, I could see that it was... Star Wars-like, but it didn't bother me because going back to the original source material and not what might have been in The Force Awakens or what have you. Story-wise, there's a lot going on, kind of uh, competing story arcs, but I think they balanced them quite well. I think a lot of people are aware of the origins of Doctor Strange, of this leading physician who gets in an accident and damages his hands and then must search for a way to repair his hands that he may be the great surgeon he was. That I see more as an inciting incident into Doctor Strange becoming a sorcerer, 
where then it opens up to another story arc, which is about being selfish or sacrificing yourself to a greater cause. Marvel still has an issue with villains. Mads Mikkelsen as Cassilius is a bit of a third-tier villain. Not that interesting. Yes, he's menacing and kind of cool-looking as the character gets more and more warped. I suppose not that progressively. It's more like a couple of times as he's drawn into dark magic. Uh, Cassilius's minions could be anyone, really. They don't get any lines, don't really have much to do other than get into fights. So even in the third stage of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're still struggling with presenting interesting villains. It's something they need to figure out. Speaking of the third phase is they introduced a new Marvel logo for the Cinematic Universe for Marvel Studios. Not quite sure what to think of it. It shows clips from the various films so far playing on the letters of the Marvel logo. And I just kind of miss the simplicity of the flipping pages of a comic book. Finally, and again, I'll try not to spoil anything, but there is this realm called the Dark Dimension where there is no concept of time. And being somewhat of a philosopher, that presents some logic puzzles. Is in a dimension where there is no time, how can there be movement? Because movement is moving from one space to another over a period of time. So without time, can you have movement? Can you have speech? Can you have much of anything? So that presented a bit of a cognitive issue for me, but you have to, I guess, surrender somewhat to the film and just take it as granted as that, yeah, these things are possible in a dimension beyond time or without time. So in terms of Newtonian physics or what have you, it seems a lot of what takes place in that realm would be impossible. But then comic book logic can't hamper on it too strongly. So that aside, I enjoyed the visuals. I enjoyed the action sequences. The set pieces were cool. I liked how Doctor Strange came together into the complete representation of the character by the end. There is a mid-credit sequence. There is an end-credit sequence as well, as to be expected, so stick around. I think they managed to introduce magic to the Marvel Universe in a reasonable manner. It's still not quite magic magic, as you'd might expect from the character. It's more like taking energy from another dimension, which is something they've already shown to be a thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you just look at the Tesseract alone of using energy from another dimension to create weapons and so on, that it's just humans taking energy from another dimension and manipulating it to alter, control, create things in our world. Speaking of Doctor Strange, we got the Doctor Strange Marvel Collector Core Funko subscription box thing. Came with a patch, 
that I liked for my coat. Came with a mug in the shape of Doctor Strange's head. Had a pin, comic, a nifty shirt that has the Funko version of Doctor Strange doing hand mudras. You know, gestures of the hands to create magical circles. And it came with a Funko Pop figure of Stephen Strange in astral form being yellow for some reason. Though the film version, they were blue in their astral bodies. So odd. Oh, what else in news? Oh, while I was at Lavender Records, I spotted a fellow goth. A lady that was decked out in black, had the dramatic eye makeup, and I was already leaving the store, so didn't manage to talk to her. Not that I would know anything to say. It's probably best that I didn't interfere. She just wanted to thumb through records. Though they didn't have much there for any goth or death rocker or rivet head or what have you. I think the only really gothic thing I saw is that they had the Cures the Top in New Arrivals. And that's about it. Not much there for any Darklings, sadly. But a lot of other stuff. A lot of blues and Motown and disco and... Even country, yes. Christmas music, yes. Not much for the uh, for those that walk the dark side. Another news item is our poor kitty, who's having a bath to my left, had some mats in his fur, but I managed to get them all out using a comb to loosen the mats and occasionally to work kind of like a handsaw, you know, like a hacksaw, essentially, holding the mat in place and snapping his little fur so I could remove the mats. He wasn't exactly too happy with me doing it, but I think he understood what I was trying to do. And I eventually managed to get all the mats out of his fur, so he's a nice and healthy boy. Yeah, you don't want mats to stay too long, as they can create sores or skin infection and that sort of thing. So he's super pettable now. Got all those mats out of his his long fur. Well, he's not a quite a long-haired cat, but he's not really short-haired either. He's kind of somewhere in between. He's very fluffy. And now, Dark Track of the Fortnite comes from a band you may have heard of. And that is Black Tape for a Blue Girl, an American dark wave band, though more dark ambient, I would think, that was formed in California in 1986 by Project Records founder Sam Rosenthal. Black Tape for a Blue Girl produces quite strange music, ranging from ethereal to dark cabaret, and Black Tape for a Blue Girl can claim David Lynch as one of as being one of their best-known fans. Uh, Black Tape for a Blue Girl has had quite a few members in their lineup and almost seems like a supergroup, in a sense. Is that you have Brian Viglioni, who's drummer for Dresden Dolls, the band Amanda Palmer was in before she struck out solo. You also have Ethan Marulis, one of my favorite vocalists in the gothic and industrial scene. You may know him from the American cold wave band Spawn Ranch, though I know him best from one of my favorite Gothic rock bands, one of the most underrated 
gothic rock bands, and that's Fahrenheit 451. Hathen shared vocal duties with Brett Helm of Audra, Lori Reddy of Attrition, and another dark cabaret singer, Nikki Jane, provided female vocals for the band. Valerie Gentile of the Crew Shadows joined Black Tape for a Blue Girl as guitarist and vocalist, replacing Nikki Jane. Furthermore, Erica Mulkey from the Project Unwoman was guest cellist. So you can see Rosenthal has brought in a lot of talent from many different bands and various styles of dark alternative music. Though Rosenthal has kept the songwriting, you know, lyrics-wise, to himself, presenting quite emotionally heavy material, as you will hear in a bit. For I present to you this episode, the song Fortune Presents Gifts Not According to the Book, which comes off the Collection, which is a free compilation presented by Black Tape for a Blue Girl. And this is a bit of a long one, clocking over seven minutes long. Though hearing their lyrics and combined with tonight's topic, you can see why I would include it. So here's Black Tape for a Blue Girl with Fortune Presents Gifts Not According to the Book.
sends gifts not according to the book. Fortune presents gifts not according to the book. When you
there you have it. Rather neo-folk, I would say. Quite ethereal in musical tones. And lyrics that play out much like a poem. And certainly a musical treatise on the nature of fate and destiny. And as the title implies, fortune. That what the universe presents us with is not always what we expect or possibly even feel we deserve which you could which can certainly call into question concepts of justice or karma or plain fickle fate musically i find it quite stirring rather pleasant transportive in the same vein as all my faith lost the italian rather neoclassical neo-folk band and Rosenthal presents a pretty interesting line regarding the nature of fate and expectation, and that when you expect flutes, they're whistles, and when you expect whistles, they're flutes. Whistles and flutes aren't quite direct opposites of one another, but they're distinct enough to make a difference. And so what you expect and what you get might not be worlds apart, but different enough to have an impact. You can get the 10-track album, The Collection, by Black Tape for a Blue Girl for free on Bandcamp. Just hit up their Bandcamp page, find the album, The Collection, and name your price. Yeah, podcasting live from the studio at Hawaiian Brian's, The Guys with Issues with James Mane, Russell Kealoha, and Chad Wago. That makes it worth all the times I pick you up and drop you off. Thank you. To know that one day, if, God forbid, I lose my hands, yeah, there's someone out there that would rub my coconuts. I have a spare for you. Yeah. And it's someone I trust. You know what? It's not the end of the world, doctor. I have a friend. Then I'll jump in the room and go, shh, my finger to your lips. And then, and then close up of my eye with a tear coming down. I got this, James. Yay! <laughs> Doctor, can we have some private time? <laughs> so I do my set and I come back. Steven Tyler's not going to hang out. He's just going to, you know, he says his goodbyes to Dave. We kept like eye contact, me and Steve Tyler, like a couple times. I nod my head and then he walks over and then he goes, Great job. That time I was starstruck. I remember he fist bumped Dave. Then he comes at me, but I open hand. And I grab his fist. <laughs> but I wonder, what is Darth Vader? He's kind of like you. Inside he's white, but outside he's black. So he's accepted by both communities. <laughs> I don't think we have that many 80 or 90 year old listeners. I don't think that's our demographic, James. <laughs> well, there's people that have grandparents. and they, You offended my grandfather. <laughs> he fought in the war. <laughs> Why were you playing him our podcast? <laughs> My name is James Mane. As always, I'm with Russell Kealoha. Konnichiwa, snitches. Yeah, I like that. And the supposed comedian, Chad Wago. Thanks for listening to the podcast. God bless you and good night. So here we go into the point. I thought it would be a pretty straightforward scenario to get back into the discussion of the tarot, as it didn't require too much extra effort on my part to present some topic for discussion, but just realized that it seems quite fitting for the election year, as it is the Wheel of Fortune, a card all about changes, and from good to bad and back again, 
and we'll get into it. First, our usual disclosure, I guess, about the tarot. Personally, I like the tarot as a study of signs and symbols, of the collective unconscious, of the hero's journey. I like it as a storytelling tool, as a meditation tool. I look at it less as a way to get advice, but more of seeing how various things relate to one another in regards to the paths we walk in life. The way I look at the tarot is that during a reading, the images of the cards, which are quite important, help unlock whatever mental blocks you might have in your concentration or focus in that you'll be able to identify an issue you're struggling with. So I see them as a meditation tool rather than the power is in the cards themselves. It's like the power is within you, the cards unlock it. So the cards are the key, your mind is a locked door. Speaking of symbolism, the Wheel of Fortune, at least traditionally, is a very symbolic card indeed. It is rife, even busy with <laughs> symbology. At the four corners of the card are various winged representatives. An angel in the top left being a representative of Aquarius. An eagle is Scorpio. A lion is Leo. And a bull is Taurus, which are the fixed signs of the zodiac. But since they're all winged, it suggests that they are capable of movement as well. I suppose suggesting that while things change, there's some fundamentals that stay the same. These are the fixed signs of the zodiac. So they are known for their stability and resistance to change. So in a sense, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Each carries a book. This book is the Torah which, combined with the blue background of the card, represent wisdom. In the center, you have the Wheel of Fortune itself. We're not talking the Pat Sajak game show, but a wheel with ancient symbols, Hebrew letters. The letters spell out the Hebrew letters Yod, He, Va, and He, which combine to create the unpronounceable name of God, Yahweh. And then interspersed within those letters is tarot, or Torah, depending on which way you read it. You have some other creatures depicted. On the right side of the wheel, your left, is a snake that is descending from the heavens, which is the Egyptian god Typhon, the god of evil, who also represents the life force. Snakes have long had an association with medical practice, you can see the medical symbol having a snake wrapping itself around a staff, suggesting the properties of venom in use of medicine. You have Anubis on the left side of the will, or your right, who's another symbol of wisdom and intelligence, and of course is a representation of the afterlife. So you have life and afterlife. And then on top is the Sphinx who represents life's riddles. Within the wheel are alchemical symbols for mercury, sulfur, water, and salt, four elements of life, and of course representing the other four elements, such as fire, air, earth, and water, which if you remember our discussion of the magician, 
were all the elements under the magician's control. Indeed, we're talking about the tenth card of the tarot now. So we're transitioning past the inner nine. Of course, the zero card both being part of the tarot and not, as it is the full, the zero card being the full. The tarot tells the full's story, his, his life's journey, is that he encounters the magician, the first card, who introduces him to logic, the priestess, who is representative of intuition, then the mother, the father, society, choice, conflict, perseverance, wisdom, all being represented in the nine cards of the tarot. Now we're to the tenth, and it's reminiscent of, though reminiscent seems a poor choice of words considering the tarot would come first in this case, but it's the poem Convergence of the Twain by Thomas Hardy about the sinking of the Titanic, and that the stanzas are broken up into chapters of sorts with Roman numerals representing each, and during particularly transitional stages of the sinking of the Titanic, as in from the 4th to the 5th to the 6th, you have a crossing over, as in the I is before the V, there's the V, then the I is after the V. In a sense, you get the same thing with the 10th card being the Wheel of Fortune. There is a transition here, from the I being before the X to the I coming after the X with the 11th card, Justice. The Wheel of Fortune represents change. And not just the possibility of change, but the inevitability, inevitability, yeah, that's how you say it, of change. In the Osho Zen Tarot, the Wheel of Fortune shows the diagram of the Great Ultimate, the yin-yang symbol of the Tai Chi, polar opposites of positive and negative energy, entwined in a cosmic dance wherein each recedes and gives way to the other. Male, female, good, evil, day, night, surplus, deficit, loss, win, opposite but related concepts that are born of what the Buddhists call codependent arising. As soon as you have a thing, you create its opposite. And you can go on forever. Hot, cold, on, off, many, few, all, none, the will of change is always in motion. Change is the only constant. And so when times are good, it is best to ride that out as best possible. Usually, when the will of fortune presents itself in a reading, it indicates that now is a good time. Luck is in your favor. Fortune is on your side, provided you act. You do something. However, times can also be bad, in which it's best, once again, not to just sit around and do nothing, though in terms of Taoism, retreat is sometimes the best option. To step back, wait it out, and then come forward when the proper moment presents itself. But when times are bad, sometimes it's best to do something to force a change. When the world seems hostile, it's good to counteract that with love and acceptance. So the will, whether it's in its reversed meaning, which is bad luck or misfortune, or whether it's upright and presenting a lucky opportunity, the lesson is not to do nothing, but to seize that opportunity to either 
recover from misfortune or to make the best of an opportunity. I think it's quite widely known now that the Chinese word for crisis is also the word for opportunity. That what seems like a really bad time is also a good time to fix things, to make repairs, to recover, to adjust. The Wheel of Fortune is quite Taoist as it is an exploration into the nature of change. Things are not permanent. So when things seem as bad as they can get, eventually they'll get better. And if you have the skill set, the foresight, the wisdom, you can initiate that change to the better. Meanwhile, when things seem good, don't get too comfortable because those good times are not going to last forever. So appreciate them as they occur. But prepare for the downward turn, for the wheel is always in motion. For everything, turn, turn, turn. As I implied earlier, the Wheel of Fortune relates to the Magician card, the Magician showing intelligence and communication and power over the elements. The Tenth card also relates to the Nineteenth card, which is the Sun, representing vibrancy, energy, exuberance. Meanwhile, the Wheel of Fortune also relates to the Aces of the various suit cards, the Ace of Swords, Initiation, taking action. The Ace of Pentacles, also known as the Ace of Coins, representing prosperity, abundance, growth. The Ace of Wands, representing progress and inspiration. And finally, the Ace of Cups, representing intuition. The Aces of the Suits are embodiments of the nature of each suit. Swords, often representing action, taking action being represented by the military class. Coins or pentacles, representing wealth and the workforce, labor, merchants. Wands represent the artisan's creativity. And cups, the clergy, feeling and emotion. So you can see a lot is tied into the Wheel of Fortune. As I like to relate the tarot to Star Wars as both represent the hero's journey, I see the Will of Fortune being the Force. Dark side and the light side are in battle, but the Force is above it, in itself more or less neutral. In itself, it's like the Tao, it's changeless, but it manifests change. It is the source of ebb and flow. In alternate tarot decks, the Will of Fortune is represented by the Fates, and you can picture a spinning wheel being the Wheel of Fortune and having a thread spun into whatever length to be clipped and ended at the time of one's death. And of course you have the game show, mentioning Pat Sajak earlier. It's simply a mode of determining what value is assigned to each letter one guesses in a puzzle, with always the possibility of a bankruptcy, or a lost turn, or having to spin again. The Buddhist will of life, the birth, life, and death, rebirth cycle. Of course, before we mentioned the diagram of the great ultimate, the yin-yang symbol. But you're going to add to that the more philosophical representation of the Tao being the black and white spiral, which shows an even greater dynamic 
perhaps even more violent dynamic between yin and yang than the two fishes representation. In Hinduism and Buddhism, you have the mandala, which I suppose are kind of tied into the will of life as well. Indeed, any circular will could have a will of fortune type symbology attached to it. For a will from its beginnings is a representative of change, of movement. As a will spins, it moves. Finally, in astrological terms, the will of fortune is ruled by the planet Jupiter. The planet represents opportunity, growth, success, and expansion. All things I think we've discussed in explaining the nature of the will of fortune. Though it should be noted that the will of fortune shows external forces rather than internal ones. The change is outside the self. It represents a force beyond your control, at least seemingly. Though, as we've discussed, that isn't to say you cannot act in regards of how to affect that change, as in make bad times better, or to reap the most benefit from the good times. In summary, the Wheel of Fortune, I think, is a positive card, one of the more positive cards in the tarot, as it shows that you can improve on whatever situation you're in, provided you have the wisdom to do so. You can overcome the bad times, which is rather optimistic in perspective. So that is the Wheel of Fortune, a transitionary card, as you can see, dividing the inner tarot from the outer tarot within the major arcana, or <laughs> strangely now, the trump cards. But we'll see if we can get into the second half of the major arcana sometime soonish. But now, shout-outs. Hey! Boy, there's a lot of us. My shout-out is to James Ferguson, also known as Dark Ink One. Many of you should know him already as being the talented fellow that has designed the show art for the Dark Corner podcast, as well as the other podcasts and the website itself over at gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com, which includes... The Strange and Deadly Show, as well as the Twilight Zone podcast, and so on. It's James' birthday, so happy birthday, James. If you care to follow Dark Ink 1, I suggest doing so on Facebook. It's D-A-R-K-I-N-C-1. There you'll see a shop button, as well as postings of various art he's doing. And right now, James is, like, really into photography, particularly nature photography. So insects, birds, sunsets, landscapes, some fantastic stuff in both color and black and white. And you'll see he does striking graphic art type images for various designs for t-shirts, prints, phone cases, what have you. And has most recently on Redbubble put up a Westworld logo t-shirt. So do check that out. I really do enjoy his art and his photography. And he's been a friend for a long time, since the Boxroom days, before we even started the podcast. So happy birthday, James. I hope you have a good one. As to when I record next, I 
think that will be our hiatus. It seems so. Yeah, in two weeks' time. So you might not hear from us again until December, and very possibly it'll be another solo outing. So bear that in mind. And I hope this uh, seemingly positive outlook for the podcast has provided you some confidence. As I know many feel deeply affected by the results of the election and know that you are not powerless in affecting change in your life or the world around you. I know I'm not the most affected by the election as I am a white male and I am straight, but I've said this to Brandy as I will my white male privilege like D'Onofrio wears his skin in the first Men in Black movie. It's not quite my thing. I think because I'm a member of a subculture and have various other odd bits about me, I'm not quite what you'd call the Trump supporter. But just keep in mind that we're more powerful than we think, especially if we enact change on a positive level. And I've already seen that. I've already seen a lot of love and respect and positivity rise up to counteract the hate and fear that's been manifesting over the past presidential campaign. So though it seems difficult at the time, it's best, I suppose, to stay positive and be an agent of love. So with that unprecedented bit of preaching, I suppose it's time for me to duck out and uh, enjoy the holidays, many of them. <laughs> I know Canada's already had their Thanksgiving, but we'll be back for around Christmas time with whatever odds and ends I decide to present to you, our listening public. And again, thanks for listening. So that's it. Peace out. The intro to the Dark Corner podcast is starting over again by the Dolly Rocks. The outro is Closure by Chemical Waves. You're listening to them right now. Have feedback? Send it to thedarkcornerpod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up at the Dark Corner Podcast Facebook group and the Dark Corner Podcast fan page. Follow us on Twitter at Dark Corner Cast. If you have the chance, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Why not also check out other fine podcasts on gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com. Speaking for Dr. Brandy Sexy Voice, I've been Evil Dave. Thanks for listening. Gentlemen's Grand House Records.com